This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I really wanted to get another beer. I thought I was going to get whiskey instead. Let me get whiskey instead. Beer's so filling. I'll be right back. Welcome to this week's Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is a win Wednesday. Mullins mania is back, and later we'll discuss those pesky quarterback runs and what the 49ers can do about them. And with me this week, recovering from the exhaustion of elite play calling, it's David Newman. It's tough out there. It's Dude, tough that's out there that, being so good. That's the best. That's one of the best flexes from Shanahan ever. It's like, man, those long drives. I get exhausted just because our offense is so good. Can't get him off the field. <laughs> Having to call that many plays, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. 77 plays? Good Lord. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts my brain. It's such, that's such a Shanahan flex. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Man, it was, uh, it was a fun game. Uh, fun in as much as uh, I felt like I could turn it off near the end of the game when the backups go in. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, let me go check out this other game. Uh, that you know, Let me go watch the Philly game. Because, you know, we're going we're gonna to face him next week. Oh, this game's still going. Oh, no one wants to win. Okay, let's watch <laughs> this game instead. This, this seems important. Yeah, the moment the backups come in, I'm like, fucking red zone channel, where are you at? Like, I need to see, I need to see something else. Like, I'm not interested in seeing these scrubs play. Like, this I need to over. be soothed by Siciliano's large ears. Nah, to, man, I'm a, a, I'm a, I'm a Hanson red zone guy. I'm sorry. I don't get the, I don't get the Hanson. Not like I don't understand it. I just, it's not part of my sports package. Right. I haven't paid the extra for it, but I do pay for Sunday ticket. So I get the Siciliano, man. I love it. I love the Verve. Uh, hate the graphics package. Yeah, that graphics it's, package. It's, it's right up there with uh, the Fox robot Cletus as <laughs> one of it is a it is a war crime. It's an atrocity. Like you, if I could call in the UN blue helmets against that graphics package, I would. It is fucking terrible. I'm pretty sure uh, Cletus was around when Troy Aikman was still playing in games. Correct. Yeah. He, Troy Aikman's actually forgotten about Cletus twice because of concussions. And then he's like, oh, shit, still here. Uh, but they actually they updated the graphics package on Fox this year. And yeah. it looks so much better. It was the it I mean, they, they debuted it during the Super Bowl was actually yeah. the first time that was. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, it's been so much more pleasant, like seeing that on all the Fox games than that bullshit they had before. 
Well, uh, the one of the more pleasant things to watch uh, in the game where the 49ers faced the New York Football Giants was the graphics package because the product on the field from the Giants. Not great, Bob. Uh, the 49ers, undermanned but not overmatched, rolled right through the Giants, 36-9. to It felt a little bit like when Texas played UTEP. It's like, we know you're on the schedule, but do we have to play? Like this, it was, it was like, it was straight up JV varsity is what it was. I mean, it, it just felt like deja vu from the week before when they were playing the fucking jets. Like it was uh, so bad. It, it was just, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a team, um, in the giants that you knew was not very good going into it. Um, and it was just a, a game that like, you didn't have to like think too deeply about, right. It was just, they, they should have absolutely gone in there and beaten them badly. And, and that's exactly what happened. Giants did have a plan for Nick Mullins, but Mullins had other plans. It was a pretty, I mean, it's, it's the play that you, uh, it's the game plan that you deploy against backup quarterbacks or quarterbacks you don't think are very good. You stack the box against the run, you man up the wide receivers, you play a lot of single high, and you dare the quarterback to beat you. And Nick Mullins did. Uh, I like to call him uh, all mofo Nick Mullins because boy, that middle of the field. Sure was open at times for Nick Mullins. Uh, and so that's a much better nickname than uh, the stolen, the ganked, if you will, nickname of uh, old BDN, Big Dick Nick. That's Philadelphia. That's Nick Foles. Do not, yeah. do not put that stank on Nick Mullins. Uh, he is Mofo Mullins. When he <laughs> threw in rhythm, uh, yeah, Mofo Mullins. Man, he, dude can throw it in the middle of the field. Come on, you saw him try to throw it the sideline. You saw that play where he tries to wind up when he's rolling left and he's got to literally rotate his entire body in ungodly 320 degrees just to get the ball out to the sideline. You saw it. Oh, absolutely. The the dude, the arm strength is non-existent with this guy. Like, um, I mean, pro- like he had some good throws in this game, like not trying to take anything away from from this performance by any stretch. But like, yeah, dude uh, needs a little help getting it out to the wide areas of the field for sure. But he did, but he had a good game, especially when he was in rhythm, when he could hit the the back step in his drop and just rifle the ball out. That was his game. And when he was in rhythm, he threw the ball. Uh, he was decisive. He threw it to the right spot. He had a couple of really accurate passes. I thought that were really good. Probably one of his better passes that I've seen was that throw to Jordan Reed, where Jordan Reed couldn't bring it in, couldn't get both feet into the end zone. But that was a good throw. That was a straight up NFL level throw that you would expect a good quarterback to make and Nick Mullins is dealing those passes. I mean that was the that, that was the best throw of Nick Mullins career by like a a significant margin I feel like and it's unfortunate that it ended up, you know, incomplete. Like yeah, to me I think um you know what kind of shows like how well he did in this game was uh I I think his accuracy, right? So I think from he had some throws that were just incredible like that being one of them um and and there were a number of other throws that he had that just like hit the receiver perfectly in stride right just like right in the exact ball location that you would want to see from him um but that wasn't so his overall accuracy though wasn't that good so when you look at it just kind of like how often did he put the ball in a good location only 58% of his throws, which was, you know, bottom quarter of the league, 24th uh, in, in week three. But he had the highest percentage of those perfect throws. And so I think there were there were a number of throws that were very, very good and and um, I think stood out from as far as like 
things that we haven't really seen from him before. Like those aren't the type of throws that I think that that we've seen in his previous games. Um, so it was like really nice to see some of those mixed in. Um, but overall, still like a little a little shaky, right? A, a good amount of like throws that were maybe still catchable but weren't in ideal location. Um, and I think he did benefit from. What, what I thought was like a good performance from supporting cast in terms of getting open 68% of his attempts were to receivers that had at least a step of separation. So like guys, like you mentioned, they were playing a lot of man coverage um, and, and guys were getting open and giving him space to throw to so that he could make those in rhythm throws. And he didn't really have to, you know, come off that first look a whole lot. I mean, every, every San Francisco drive ended in either a touchdown or, or a field goal attempt, RIP Kyle Nelson. With no turnovers or punts, the first time the Niners have not punted since 1993. We're talking wow. George Seifert blowing three times through the certs. Like, that's how far away we got to go back into the annals of 49ers history before we get to a team with as much offensive efficiency as the Nick Mullins-led 49ers. So my question to you, David, and I know you're going to love this question. This is going to be right up there with breaking down two run plays in the Patreon video from last week. (laughs) Why is it so cut and dry that Garoppolo is the starter? Because Shanahan was asked about that this week in press in a press conference, and he dismissed it with his typical snark, which was like that. It's it's not a question when if Garoppolo is healthy, Garoppolo is the starter and he's out there. Uh, It seems to be a very dismissed thing. But Garoppolo was incredibly efficient. Uh, he was as efficient in this game as Garoppolo was, uh, you know, against the the first half in the Jets game. And and you got to ask yourself, okay, if if Garoppolo is the unquestioned starter, then why? I mean, I I think it's appropriately dismissive, right? Like that, the the tone that Shanahan takes, like answering that question, I think is is spot on, and I, I think it comes down to what they're capable of doing when things can kind of fall apart or or be a little bit tighter, right? So I think what we've seen from Mullins is that he can be good enough and effective enough when everything falls into place, right? So if he has the receivers who are getting open um, and and giving him open receivers to throw to, um, if he has Shanahan, which we obviously know to to really expect at this point, like if, if Shanahan's um, you know doing his thing on the scheme standpoint and he's getting helping to get these guys open as well and, and protections holding up well and he has time in the pocket to to sit back there and find guys, like he's gonna be okay. Right. Like you can give him throws in the middle of the field um, that he can hit and he'll hit them accurately enough that he can keep the offense kind of on schedule and going. Um, I, I, I just think like to me, he completely falls apart once he gets outside of that structure. Like there is just no hope that when things break down, if he gets pressured, like he just looks panicked right back there like he that there were there were a couple times um you know when he came in after Garoppolo got hurt in the previous week uh, against the Jets where he just like he just completely freezes and seizes up when he, he sees pressure in his face um and so there's there's no um I, I think the the ceiling is just so much lower with him right Garoppolo um while it, it isn't consistently there like he definitely has shown us you know um on a number of occasions that like he can still make things happen when when stuff falls apart and things aren't completely ideal around him I think that that's one of one of the things that I've learned over the last um few years that we've been doing this is that every player in the NFL has some degree of talent some morsel of thing they do well it's how they got to the NFL even some yep. of the worst players in the NFL, even Cassius Marsh has five <laughs> sack seasons 
right? Good enough to get to the quarterback. But the difference between Cassius Marsh and Nick Bosa is that Nick Bosa does that regularly, consistently, and you can count on him to do it. And he can do it against really good competition. Yeah. And, and I think that's the, the difference that we're trying to draw here between Mullins and Garoppolo. I don't think that Garoppolo is in the elite stratosphere of quarterback, but he does things more consistently in the good quarterbacking realm than Mullins does. And I think one play that really illustrates that is at the end of the first half, Mullins is driving the ball down the field. I think it was after a turnover. This may have been after the Warren interception, actually. Yep. And he's got Brandon Ayuk breaking in the middle of the field. But he just completely misses the throw. I mean, it's like it's in the dirt. It is, it is one of those things where you know what he's trying to do. He's like, look, I'm not going to put this ball in harm's way at the end of the half. It's either Ayuk going down to the ground to get it or no one is. And basically, the only, the only thing that was going to get it was the blue paint on that <laughs> terrible turf at MetLife. Because it was just bad. Yeah. And it wasn't like he was pressured. It's just his body failed him. And, and that's the difference, I think, between a quarterback that is better than him and then an elite quarterback hits that throw, you know, eight, nine times out of ten. Right. So, so that, that, that is, I think, the difference between Mullins, where Mullins, I think, is a quarterback that can and should be in the NFL. And he's a great backup for the 49ers. He can come in and win a couple of games, which is what the Niners are going to ask him to do. And, and he can do it. But he's still going to be a little ways behind Garoppolo and other consistent starters. Right. I, I, I think he has shown us that he is an ideal backup quarterback, right? Especially for when, you know, when you have an offensive coach as good as Shanahan, where you know that he's going to be able to design things to make that job a little bit easier when you have to put the backup quarterback in. Um, he's shown us that he can go out and execute those sort of things. And and that's really all that you can do. But there is a, a difference between being able to execute at that basic fundamental level and then being able to have, you know, the ceiling in terms of your ability and talent level to, to kind of take it beyond that. And that's the stuff that we just don't see from him. But David, in their first nine starts, oh, three no. quarterbacks for the most yards in NFL history. Patrick Mahomes, 2,810 yards. Andrew Luck, 2,631 yards. Nick Mullins, 2,620 yards. Uh, I mean, that's a Kyle Shanahan stat. That's what that is. That's right. <laughs> that, that's what you pull up to show how good Kyle Shanahan is, is like fucking Nick Mullins is in the same conversation as Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, that's why that's yards not the, is garbage. I feel like that's the anti, uh, that's the, that's the stat that indicts Adam Gase. That's the stat that indicts basically anyone else who's coming out and like, who can't get something out of maybe Josh Rosen. It's like, I wonder what Josh Rosen would do in, in the Shanahan offense. Would he be able to follow the script enough to just hit wide open receivers? Because um, I think a quarter of the league thinks no, which is why right. they've traded him. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it definitely, I think, you know, that while Nick Mullins can be a very, very good backup quarterback, I, you know, I think pump your brakes a little bit if you're, if you're going to Mullins stand like my, my rec league bro, whom I haven't <laughs> seen in a while, haven't played rec league basketball because of the Rona, uh, right, which, right. which is unfortunate. I, I would like to play some basketball at some point. So, hey, wear masks, you know, social distance, do the thing. Sure. Uh, but let's get to the defense because the, the, the question throughout the year is going to be whether or not the defense is going to regress if so how much and how much of the offense is going to have to account uh, as a result and close that gap. Well, by all counts and by many statistical measures, the Niners defense is one of the best in the league. Uh, so they're third in EPA per play allowed, first in PFF team 
defensive grade, fifth in DVOA. You basically take any statistical measure and they're near the top. They're near the top like they were last year. Fred Warner, maybe the team's MVP so far. We'll spend a little bit talking about how good he is at football. But why should I not be paying attention to these numbers quite yet when I'm looking at these numbers and I'm saying, maybe that defense, I don't know, Robert Sala, maybe he's the defensive <laughs> Shanahan. So, I, th- I mean, I think there, there are definitely things to be encouraged about, right? So I, I think starting there, starting with the positive, like they have definitely shown some things that I think are are great, right? So I think Robert Sala um, has been doing some good stuff from a scheme standpoint and, and what they're doing on the coverage side specifically. Like I think there have been some nice... Uh, wrinkles that they've shown and, and been able to have. Um, we've seen some great performances from a few players, and we've seen them like largely weather uh, a pretty big storm of injuries on that side of the ball, right? And still hold up and, and be able to post, you know, top five numbers in in a lot of different metrics. So I think those are all things that they should absolutely, um, you know, be very happy with. Obviously, but you do have to like look back at who they've played. And in playing the Giants and Jets so far as two of your three games, those might be the two worst teams in football right now. Um, and so I think even though, you know, those games were, were on the road or whatever, like it, it's a significant advantage when, you know, two thirds of your games uh, that, that you've played so far are against competition that's just terrible. Right. And so I think that's where I think you would want to pump the brakes a little bit and say that we, we need to see more before we still are going out there and pretending like this is um, the same sort of dominant level defense that we get uh, or that we saw last year. And I think the, the the team defense grade in PFF actually like kind of illustrates that a little bit, right? So they're first in that metric. But when you look at what the actual grade is, it's like 73 point something. Um, so I think there, there's like two things there. There's defense as a whole across the NFL is a little worse so far through three weeks than, than I think some of the things that we saw last year. They're like... I want to say there was like six teams that had a higher grade than the 49ers do currently through three weeks last season. So it's just, it's not, they're, they're first, they're, you know, they're good among what we've seen from defenses so far, but that level isn't quite same. And, and the 49ers were, I, I guess, to be clear too, it were one of those teams that had a higher grade through three weeks. So what we saw from them at the beginning of last year was definitely better than what we've seen so far. So I think between that and the level of competition that you have, um, those are reasons why I'm still kind of in a wait and see mode with what this defense is going to be. Okay. I don't care about all that. Let's talk about Fred Warner. Fred Warner. <laughs> no, I do care about that. That is, it's important to caveat. Yes, we did just play the directional schools of the NFL. Uh, and now we're going to get on to uh, maybe the third directional school, which is Northwestern, Southern Eastern Philadelphia State uh, Tech. Uh, but we'll get school to that for the here. Blind. We'll get to, we'll get to that here after the break. Wins. Let's, let's talk about Fred Warner for a second, because Fred Warner is maybe the team MVP so far through three weeks. Two plays where he has made an individual impact. We've broken them down on the Patreon videos uh, at patreon.com forward slash better rivals to, to see these live with our voiceover and some neat telestrator pictures. Uh, but you've got the fourth and one uh, where Fred Warner just com- beautiful play recognition, shoots the gap and is able to stop a fourth down and basically kill a drive to, to kill any threat from the Jets. And then you've got the interception against the Giants where he talked about it afterwards. It was film study. He knew exactly where he was going to go. Didn't even look at the receiver 
ran the stick route with him and was able to pick the ball off and still managed to, on a bad throw, right? Because if it was, you, I think you pointed this out in the video, if yeah. it were a better throw, it would have been an easier interception <laughs> for Fred Warner. But because the throw was bad, so it was a difficult behind. play. <laughs> it yeah. was a difficult play. Fred Warner is, he was ranked, I think, what, like 70th or 77th in, in NFL 100 uh, this past year, which as a thing, I'm not a huge fan of because it's, it's not always indicative of how good people really are. But I think Fred Warner this year is finally evolving into the type of player people were trying to give him credit for last year, where he's going to be like the top five linebacker, you know, super great coverage guy. He still was a little uneven last year. I think this is the year where, yeah, he's entering into that top linebacker conversation, and he's done so over the last three weeks. Right. Yeah, I I feel like so far everything has kind of fallen into place for him where, yeah, he's he has been so much more consistent. We don't see some of the lapses that we saw at times last year. And um, it, it's definitely shown, I think, in, in kind of every aspect of his game. Right. He's making plays uh, in the run game, had a really nice play um, here where he, you know, what looked like he was kind of on a blitz and, and he sees power going the opposite way. And he's able to kind of knife in from the backside of the play and make a tackle for short gain. Um, so that was great. And, and from a coverage ability he's been fantastic this year like um by far the best coverage player on the 49ers defense um and he even got in as a pass rusher and made an impact like he had a pressure on daniel jones that forced an inaccurate throw um in the early in the fourth quarter there so like he he really is finding ways to make an impact at, at every possible phase um and it's it's shown in and i think is in his pff grade so far so he's second right now behind only miles jack uh, in terms of linebacker overall grade um, through the first three weeks of the season, like he really is putting it um, on like a, a, a consistent level. He is playing at a, at a very, very high level. Um, and it's a lot of fun to see. Like he, he is definitely for me so far been the most fun player to watch um, through each of these three games. Yeah, he's been he's been really, really good. He's been the heart and soul of the defense. Uh, he is more of a vocal leader now, if you uh, believe the beat reports from Matt Barrows and Chris Biederman, which I do uh, believe those guys. I trust them. Trustworthy, you know, salt of the earth guys. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I think Fred Warner is is a revelation so far this season. He is evolving into the player that we thought he could be. And, and I'm glad that he is uh, really that middle linebacker and the captain for the defense. I think you look at the rest of that defense and you think, okay, the defense is still, you know, holding the Giants to six points. They're holding the Jets to, uh, you know, a lower, a low number as well. But now you look at the replacements along the pass rush and, and how they've fared outside of Fred Warner. And, and you look first at Kerry Hyder because Kerry Hyder is someone who's been getting a lot of hype. But when you look at how he's performed, I don't know that his tape, that his performance play by play actually matches the type of hype that he's been getting. You look at his counting stats and he's got, you know, he's got some pressures. He's got, you know, he had a sack against the Giants. And and you think to yourself, OK, maybe this is a guy who was brought in, Chris Kosurik guy, and, and he can fill in that role that, you know, that situational rotational pass rusher that you hope to get. I, I've even seen, you know, like his people refer to his price going up next year. But when you look at his play, it's not all that great. So, David, what explains the gap between you know, kind of people looking at the the counting stats and then people saying, okay, but what does he actually do snap by snap? Right. It's always, how are you getting those pressures? Right. So I think, um, while affecting the quarterback in any way is, is always going to be, uh, you know, a net positive for your defense. 
Um, some of those situations when you're looking at individual performance are, are much easier than others, right? Or, or something that doesn't require quite as much skill level or, or effort. And so I think some of the things that we see from, from Hyder so far are, you know, these sort of cleanup pressures where he's blocked initially. He hasn't actually won his individual matchup, um, but due to pressure maybe elsewhere or just the quarterback being bad, like the quarterback will leave the pocket and kind of run right towards him, right? So we had a couple of those type of pressures in this week. Um, and then he also had uh, a lot of his other pressures come from stunts. So things where from a, a schematic standpoint, you're really beating the protection, right? It's less uh, of an individual player going out there and, you know, beating this one-on-one block. And that's how he's generating pressure on the quarterback. It's he's benefiting from the overall scheme and kind of getting these freer rushes at the quarterback. Um, and, and he honestly, like, wasn't even really taking advantage of those opportunities that he did get there. So I think the one play that he really had in this game, you know, was the sack. I think that was a very good rush, like, um, you know, won that matchup to the outside and, and gets away with a very clean sack there. So, uh, I think that play was was very good and deserves some credit for that. But yeah, I think the overall level of play just isn't quite there, right? It, it's not like this guy's a backup. He was is part of the backup plan in the rotation for a reason, right? And he's being um, put into the lineup um, due to necessity. And and I think that's there. There's been nothing with his play that's shown that he deserved to have a, a chance beyond that. Yeah, this is uh, he, he had six pressures against the Giants and he had three pressures against the Jets. Not overall like super great individual performances from Hyder. He, he only had two pressures against the Cardinals, but probably played a little bit better game in, in terms of the pass rush. And this is it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you can't always look at just the outcome stats because the outcome stats don't tell the whole story. They don't tell the process of how the player got there. They just tell you that maybe the offensive line had a complete bust and just left him unblocked. Uh, or he is the backside defender on a boot action play, and he's running right at the quarterback, uh, which is what <laughs> happened on one play uh, against Daniel Jones. And so he, he's not, uh, I think, he's not matching the kind of hype that he's getting right now. So if you're on like the carry Hyder train, I would just invite you to take a look at some of those snaps. And the other some thing the- that I think, too, that is worth noting with him in, in those six pressures, because I believe the, the six pressures led the team this week. Um, but he had way more rush attempts than anybody else. So he had 28 pass rushing snaps, led the team. I think Eric Armstead was the only player, the other other player that even topped 20. So he had more opportunities than everybody else along the defensive line to rush the passer. Um, And then so when you combine that with the fact that he kind of like was gifted a good number of those pressures, like it's just not as impressive as it seems like on, on first look. So you get to some of the other players that the Niners have rotated and needed to rotate in because of injuries along the defensive line. And you look at Deion Jordan. I think Deion Jordan actually had an okay game. His counting stats are not going to be as high, but I think of Ansa, Jordan, and Hyder, he probably was the better pass rusher, and he started to make an impact a little bit later in the game. But Ezekiel Ansa, he was the the quote-unquote you know big-name signing. Uh, and and I, I think big, when I say big, I just mean maybe large human. <laughs> Uh, cause the dude is big. The dude looks big, plays big. Uh, he had zero pressures. He does, did not get a credit for the pressure on the Warner INT. It was a stunt. Didn't get there fast enough. Wasn't counted as a pressure, but whole oh, man, does that man look slow? Uh, plotting, I think was the, the first word that came to mind when we started talking about it. like, um, yeah, just, just doesn't. Does does not doesn't have it, man. Like uh, it's like we we talked about it a little bit, um, you know, before he was signed when it, it seemed uh, very likely that that was going to happen, and, and just 
kind of what his careers looked like. And even in his best, he wasn't necessarily all that good. And, and now he's like, he's much older now. Like he's an older player um, for that position. Like he didn't have, like, I don't know that he was ever like the the kind of like crazy athlete. Like he was, he was always like, I think early in his career, like a, a decent athlete for his size because he is so like fucking big, but like he, he's not somebody that was like winning with great athleticism on the edge ever. Um, and, and so I think now we're at a point where he really appears to have lost most of what was there. And I just, yeah, don't, don't see, I mean, you want to give him a little bit of a break. It's the first game coming in, whatever he needs to, to knock some of the rust off and, and we, you know, we'll give him a chance to see if he can improve on that. But I mean, there's only one direction to go from that performance and, and it is up because it was not great. Yeah, but after one week of the replacement watching, if you put kind of Kerry Hyder, Dion Jordan, and Ziggy Ansah in a bucket, and you're going to kind of chart their performance over the course of the weeks here for the 49ers, Dion Jordan won this week. He was yeah. the best pass rusher of the group. Doesn't mean necessarily that he is going to solve the 49ers pass rush problems, but if you're looking for that rotational piece that can potentially be you know, a, a longer-term signing, maybe gets a two-year deal after this year, a little extension to be a rotational piece, in case someone like Ronald Blair doesn't pan out, doesn't come back from injury or something like that, it's going to be Deion Jordan. That That's yeah. the guy after one week that I'm putting my money on. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, they're going to, you know, none of those guys are, are going to be something that's going to replace both. Obviously they're going to have to just hope that they can get enough production across the, the entire group and they can scheme up some stuff to get some pressure. And that's like the best that they can hope for. Yeah. All right, let's get to the quick hits and then we'll talk a little bit about those pesky quarterback runs. But before we do that, let's take just a brief moment to hear from our sponsors. And we're going to start with DoorDash. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. That's a setting you can flip on. That's basically how I exist when food gets delivered. Don't talk to me. Just leave it there. I've leave got a there. ring doorbell. <laughs> I can see you. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And now a bit about Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents... Fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. I was paid once to play in a football game. Does that make me a professional athlete, David? I don't think so. I say yes. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. You know what I'm excited to watch, David? I'm excited to watch the full complement of offensive skill position players for the 49ers. That would be nice. George Kittle's coming back. You've got Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Debo. maybe on track to play. Uh, I, I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo's going to be back, but if not, one more week, and we can see the actual Shanahan offense going to be deployed. I'm excited about that. I Wonderful. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching and 
the Better Rivals drinking game. They wanted to make sure that you knew that. You can choose Pepsi for the Better Rivals drinking game if you so choose. And lastly, bet online. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Newman, let's get to the quick hits. On the 15-play drive to close the game, on which the 49ers gained 102 yards because they had a holding penalty that pushed them back, (laughs) the 49ers never faced a single third down. That's how efficient Mofo Mullins is. Mofo Mullins, making it happen, doesn't even need third downs. Fuck out of here with your thirds downs. Uh, that's insane. I, I honestly didn't realize that uh, going through, and I didn't see this note beforehand. That is uh, quite shocking to me. Yeah, yeah. you enjoy that. You enjoy yeah. that nugget. Uh, maybe Kyle Nelson needs to figure out those PEDs uh, because he lost his job after he had to stop taking them. All I'm saying is, you know, causation correlation they're muddled here man uh what makes you think as a long snapper that you need peds i don't know man i I really don't know but he he must have gotten his own head about them i feel bad for the guy i hope he finds a job and i hope it's not with the giants because i don't want him to follow that trade junk and trajectory i'm not gonna wish that juju on anyone i mean i also hope that it's not with the niners again later no it it can't be at this point it can't be just uh yeah but uh, i think uh my man friend of the pod brian peacock talked about uh trey junkin and the giants and the niners and i was like don't don't say that name out loud right now like well i mean i guess you can for the giants because the niners were fine with it but yeah uh all right niners week three stunt percentage was at 26.9 percent that is the second highest of the week robert sala is trying to manufacture pressure trust us that's up from 15.7 percent over the first two games that was ranked 15th in the nfl uh, and of course ziggy Ansah stunted on that interception that was eventually thrown uh, really shittily to Fred Warner. Marcel Harris. Hey, all he does is force fumbles and get roasted. He forced two fumbles. Uh, and, and I mean, one of them was, was lost. One of them was recovered. But on the play, which he had a pass breakup, he was beat cleanly. And Daniel Jones made sure that he had the speed to recover. So I guess the moral of the story is if you're going to get beat, at least be fast enough to catch up against shitty quarterbacks. Or at least do it, yeah, against the Giants when you're playing a shitty quarterback. Yeah, like my guy was was completely roasted there. It was actually like kind of the opposite end. Um, if you uh, are a Patreon subscriber and you watched our Akella Witherspoon video, you know that there were some issues in terms of how they were passing off uh, that sort of scissors concept where you get a deep post and you get an outbreaking route that kind of cross each other on the same side of the field. Um, that was what was largely happening here. They pass it off. Marcel Harris, the safety, the inside guy on this one was the one that was uh, a little late to respond. And it was, I mean, it should have been a touchdown, but Daniel Jones was incredibly late and underthrew it. And that gave my guy time to, to catch up and, and knock it down. So, yeah. I am looking forward to like the all dreads Niners defense though. Like Sherman, Harris, Verrett, 
I just feel like dreads makes a defensive back better. I don't know <laughs> how or why, but I just, I, I would love it if like three quarters of that defense was just rocking dreads and just swan passes everywhere. I, I got to say, like, I would not like it because it's very easy to identify it when there's only one guy. I, I know, like, okay, there was yeah. like, it was actually like when I first started watching this game, um, I saw Verrett out there and just like for a moment, I was like, wait, did was Sherman back? I thought he was on like, what's going on? Why is Sherman out there? Oh, wait, it's not Sherman. But yeah, the dreads. So three guys with dreads, like, look, man, that's a very identifiable thing um, that is very helpful in film watching. Like, I don't need three guys out there in the secondary with dreads. Honey, I shrunk the sherm. Uh, all right, <laughs> let's get to the last one. The NFC West has a combined nine wins. Nine wins so far this year through three weeks. No other division has more than seven. The NFC East, two. Two wins for the NFC East. NFC Cowboys West fans East. are melting down. Yeah, they're one and two. They only need six more wins to win the division. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the NFC East is fucking trash. Um, it's so bad. just yikes. Um, NFC so West bad. very much not trash. Uh, very good. All of the NFC all of those best, teams put them put them in the playoffs. Best. All right, let's get to the big picture moment for today. It's going to be talking a little bit about those quarterback runs. The 49ers are and have not been good against quarterback runs, whether they be designed or not. And the 49ers face a slate of quarterbacks that run the ball really effectively. Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, twice, and another battle against Kyler Murray, a game in which Kyler Murray's running is effectively what lifted the Cardinals' offense to victory. So how can the Niners' defense, a defense that is not playing as well so far as they did last year, but still has some good players. How can they stop the types of quarterback runs that they'll see against these quarterbacks? And we'll break up these runs into two big buckets. First, we'll talk about scrambles. Then we'll talk about designed runs. So David, how does the 49ers defense need to account for stopping the, the Kyler Murray scrambles that we saw in week one? I think this is the tougher one to solve. So because it, it it kind of in some ways clashes with the the idea of like manufacturing pressure that we've been talking about, right? So they they are down. So the, I think the the thing that you need to do, right, largely to to stop scrambles, like obviously it helps just having um, athletic defenders that can chase down these quarterbacks and kind of limit the gains, you know, in in terms of your back seven and guys that are dropping into coverage. So I think that part is is helpful to have, um, but you know, largely it, it is. Um, with the defensive line and kind of maintaining their rush lanes, that integrity um, to make sure that you're not giving the quarterback a clear wide open lane to be able to escape the pocket and get out into that open space um, that, that has kind of been vacated by your coverage defenders, which, you know, the 49ers from a coverage standpoint, I think are doing a lot more things um, as far as like matching things where their eyes are now on receivers and less on the quarterback, right? So they're not just kind of backing up in these zones and, and everybody's fixated on the quarterback. Um, they're they're looking at other things to try to get tight to routes and, and stuff that is very good from a coverage standpoint, but much like man coverage can kind of leave you a little bit vulnerable to those quarterback runs. And, and the scrambles have been the biggest issue. I mean, they are the worst team in the league um, in terms of EPA per play allowed when the quarterback takes off and scrambles. Um, so it has been very much a problem for them. Um, but, uh, so one of the things that they're trying to do, right. In terms of manufacturing pressure 
is all of the stunts. The stunts and the blitzes, when you have guys that are now exchanging those rush lanes, it does become, uh, I think, a bit more difficult to keep that that rush integrity, right, where you're keeping the quarterback in the pocket and not giving him those lanes to, to be able to escape out. So it's kind of... Uh, as, as Robert Sala has to make a decision as to what he thinks is more important, right? Is it okay that we give up a few of these scrambles per game and, and we take away some of the other stuff and maybe we generate a bit more pressure on some of those other plays where he can escape? Or do we kind of want to, you know, largely give up on trying to generate consistent pressure and, and really keep the focus more on just keeping him in the pocket and trust that our coverage is going to hold up on the back end? Um, I don't think that is the approach that they're going to take. I think they're very much, you know, a pressure. We need to get pressure. We need to get after the quarterback type of uh, mentality defensively. And so I think it, it is going to be something that that might continue to be a problem. It's going to be difficult for them to fix, I think. The the foundation of this 49ers defense is predicated on pressure. You look at the the defensive line coach, Chris Kosurik. This is what he was brought in to do. That He is a Jim Washburn wide nine, get to pressure, like almost sacrifice the run to get pressure. They're very proud of their of their pressure stats and that Washburn, Jim Schwartz, Kasurik defensive line tree. This is what they want to do. They want to get pressure. This is what the Niners have done. And now what sucks is that they've built this defense around pressure. And and they've even like they've added more resources to the defensive line, even though they have suffered losses in the secondary yep. and haven't replenished those with the commensurate level of skill. They haven't gone out to look for a veteran corner outside of maybe Jason Verrett, right? But they have brought in Deion Jordan and they brought in Ziggy Ansah and Kerry Hyder. Like that is where their focus is. So I think you're yep. absolutely right. They're not going to say, well, you know what? We can just go ahead and try to squeeze the pocket a bit. Hope we get a one-on-one. And, and cover on the back end, they're, they're going to continue to try to get pressure. And I think yep. that Salah's, we've talked about Salah's third down blitz rate on the pod before, and I think that's also indicative of how he thinks he's going to be able to get pressure. Um, so I absolutely think that that's probably the case, which is it's going to be an interesting thing to watch over the course of the year, that tension between maintaining your rush lane and getting a stunt. But the other is designed quarterback runs. And, and you defend designed quarterback runs a little bit differently. It's similar in that it depends on maintaining your assignment, but there's really a couple different ways for you to attack what planned quarterback runs look like. There's really two common ways that teams will try to defend quarterback, like planned quarterback runs. One of them is with basically squeezing that defensive end and having them play two gaps. And when you look at, you know, kind of the, what the Niners saw this weekend against Daniel Jones, which is the zone run to one side and Daniel Jones looking at the backside defensive end, what a lot of teams will do is they'll squeeze that defensive end down and basically try to force the give to the back. Um, and if the quarterback pulls it, then that defensive end just breaks and gets after the quarterback. The idea there is my defensive end is a better athlete than your quarterback. Yep. And, and that's often the case. It really is. Uh, now that changes a bit when that quarterback is, let's say Lamar Jackson. Uh, and so oftentimes what quarterbacks, what, what de sorry, defenses will do is they will exchange gaps. They'll send that defensive end straight to the running back. They say, don't even care. Go straight to the running back. I don't care what you do, but the linebacker behind him switches and then covers the gap that that defensive end just vacated. And so what it looks like to the quarterback is, oh, I'm going to go ahead and keep the ball. That defensive end is crashing but I'm going to keep the ball and run right into a linebacker. And based on how the Niners have covered 
those zone reads so far, and especially how they covered them against the Giants, I don't know which strategy they're employing because they played it so poorly on that yeah. side of the field that it's hard to know which one they're doing. I haven't seen a defense play that zone read as poorly as like it, it, it was so bad. And it was two players. It was Jimmy Ward and Quan Alexander. I think the way they were supposed to play it was that Quan was supposed to exchange the gap. And that would align with that wide nine philosophy of just get after the quarterback, go straight up the field, go do that thing, right? So it makes sense that they would say, defensive end, go after your dude. Linebacker, cover on the back end. But Quan Alexander was basically like, he, he looked like a Green Bay linebacker out there spinning himself in the ground, going after the, the, <laughs> the run and, and not covering the quarterback. It was bad. It was not good. And both him and Jimmy Ward were to blame for those big, long Daniel Jones runs. Right. And, and I mean, the, the one thing that I would say, I guess, uh, in, in their defense a little bit is you're certainly not expecting that kind of stuff against Daniel Jones. Right. So I think it, it's one credit to the Giants for like being willing to, to run that stuff. Right. And obviously, you know, paid off to some degree. I mean, Daniel Jones couldn't do much else of any good. So it like didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But for those plays, it was successful. And, and I, I think, yeah, it, it, the as far as the DN squeeze strategy, I think that is something that would have made more sense for them if you have Nick Bosa and, and D Ford out there, right? Guys who are a bit more athletic and, and I think better just players overall and um, can maybe handle the extra responsibility and, and be trusted to read that a little bit better and kind of like, you know, not only discourage the the quarter like the quarterback from giving it but be able to get out there when he keeps it and, and be able to prevent him from even getting beyond the line of scrimmage right so i think some of that is there but yeah it, without them they don't have the guys at defensive end to be able to really employ that strategy i think like they're all just kind of interior defenders masquerading as edge defenders it feels like from an athleticism standpoint so yeah they're gonna need to rely on um, ways that get their linebackers, their safeties, those support players are, are really going to need to be the ones that are focused on it. And I think it's it's something that they just need to um, probably have on their radar more. I, I, I think it's just when they're not playing a team, you know, that you're not, you know, obviously if you're playing Seattle, you're playing Arizona, um, teams that, that do this consistently as part of their offense, you're going to be prepared for that going into it. Um, they still might not be great at it but at least you're you're aware of it uh the possibility of it being run and all that stuff it's on your radar right so i think they just need to probably drill down on that a little bit it comes down to just being assignment sound right if, if everybody kind of is where they're supposed to within the structure of of the run fit and the defense like they're going to be able to have all of those bases covered um if guys get their eyes kind of trailing off a little bit ball watching and and you you know kind of lose track of where it is that's how you end up with some big plays from quarterbacks you're not expecting to run all over you and that's exactly what happened to alexander and ward they were ball watching especially ward ward is where like alexander honestly i kind of expect it from him at this point like he i i expect him to kind of jump in and not be really good with his eyes but ward has always been really good in taking angles and really kind of flying downfield and making tackles and on both zone read runs from Daniel Jones, he just was screaming towards the running back and just completely left Daniel Jones a lane to run down the field. He was better on the second one, but it still wasn't good. Definitely something they have to tighten up, especially because Philadelphia, Carson Wentz, maybe in that Daniel Jones camp where this year, he may be more effective on the <laughs> ground than he is throwing the football. Because Wentz, Wentz can pull the ball and run. He is, yeah. he is uh, a, an athletic guy. And he has run the zone reads. We know it's a part of the Eagles playbook. 
and they've got design runs. He can scramble, but through 12 weeks, Wentz leads the league with 12 turnover-worthy plays, so maybe just turn him into a running back and run the Wildcat at this point because that's what Philadelphia, uh, that's where Philadelphia's at. Right, yeah, he's been a just fucking disaster. Like, the, the 12 turnover-worthy plays, like, not only is that, like, I mean, I feel like you just saying that you've had 12 turnover-worthy plays through three games, like, that sounds bad just on its own with no additional context. That's twice the number of any other quarterback. Like, Dwayne Haskins <laughs> and Mitchell Trubisky are are next up with six. Um, he is is just, like putting the ball at harm's way at an astonishing rate. And it's not like a consistent thing. I was watching him kind of before we, um, you know, started recording and it's, it's uh, misreads where he's forcing the ball into coverage and, and throwing it right to a defender. It's throws that are just horribly inaccurate. And and so they're missing the target, throwing him right to a defender. Um, there's fumble issues in there, which has always kind of been, a, a, I think I feel like an underrated problem of his. Um, he just, yeah, is, is very off. Um, he's he's a turnover machine at this point. And just even beyond that, even when you get beyond the turnover-worthy stuff, just has been horribly inaccurate. He's been the least accurate quarterback in the NFL through three games. It's just a disaster. Their their offense right now is a mess. Well, Seth Galina had a really good thread. Friend of the pod, Seth Galina, actually, who's now one of your co-workers over at yep. PFF. Uh, now he's got access to all the film and all the data. So he's been on a, ba- a football binge, I feel like, for three months. <laughs> And, and he had a really good thread about how Carson Wentz is not dumb. He's making the right decisions. He's just, ma- he's just throwing completely inaccurate passes. And so he can't, he can't capitalize on his brain. He's like his, his body is failing him, even though his <laughs> mind is still sharp. Uh, and that's got to be incredibly frustrating. So Carson Wentz not having a great game, which is where the Niners coming in and, and has a matchup for the Niners, it's hopefully pretty good because that's where... I think the Niners are um, a, a team that can handle this iteration of Carson Wentz. Yeah. What, what they may not be able to handle is that Eagles defensive line because the Eagles team is bad uh, in terms of their offense and Carson Wentz is bad. And so I think how good their defensive line has been is really flying under the radar. The Eagles defense ranks fifth in the league in yards allowed through three games. That's for you folks that love more of the standard stats, but if you want some more kind of advanced stats that look at individual play and performance, they are second in the league in PFF pass rush grade. The Eagles built a defense that the Niners would be envious of. The Eagles are spending 21% of their cap dollars on the defensive line. That's fourth most in the league. They've got players like Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson, Brandon Graham, Vinnie Curry. These are all plus pass rushers. And these are the interior defenders that are going to be moved around to the edge. They're going to be moved around internally, and they're going to be going up against Dan Brunskill. They're going to be going up against, uh, you know, the whatever center the Niners trot out there, Ben Garland. I think Cronus Grassu got promoted to the to the active roster permanently, uh, which is you know good for him. Yeah, but th- this is what you know the the Niners are going to have to face. And if we talked about how Mullins is great when everything is going fine, now you're going up against a defense where things may not be fine. And, and so where the Niners are able to throw up, you know, 35, 36 points in New York, I don't know that the point total is going to be that high against the Philadelphia Eagles. This might be um, a rough game. Yeah, they, I mean, they're generating pressure on 41% of, of pass plays so Jesus. far. So 
Uh, second in the NFL, only only the Steelers are higher at like an absurd 50%. Like that's just fucking wild. Yeah, um, and, but, and I think what, what you might say is that, okay, they faced the Bengals last week. And, and the Bengals offensive line, not great. And yes, that is something to note. But the the rate at which they're they're generating pressure wasn't just a spike against the Bengals. It was also good their previous two weeks. Yeah, so I I think like that's the aspect of this game that is is definitely most concerning, right? So looking at everything from th- that we talked about with Mullins and how that lines up with if if he's getting pressured on forty percent of his dropbacks, like that's going to be uh, an issue. So I think that what they they're going to have to do, and and this is where you really hope that Shanahan and ex- I think expect Shanahan to be kind of. Um, really on it is, is going to be setting him up in situations where you can try to limit that pass rush, right? So it's going to be, I think one thing we didn't see a lot of in this game is a lot of like the bootleg action, a lot of the play action stuff. Like they actually had a surprising, uh, surprisingly high number of throws that were just kind of pure dropback stuff, really not a lot of play action, um, not a lot of screens, anything like that. So you're, I think you're going to well, see... When you got the best quarterback on the team in there, I think, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Just go <laughs> straight to your dropback game. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to dig deep into your bag when you got uh, old old Nicky Mullins back there. But look, Mofo uh, Mullins, David, Mofo Mullins, you had the opportunity to use the nickname I, and you didn't. Mm, how are we gonna bl- how are we gonna yeah. trademark this nickname? If we don't I don't do think Mofo he's Mullins. good enough for a nickname. That's what yeah. I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> like he's just fucking Nick Mullins until he does anything that's worth a shit. Uh, and so like, yeah, I, I think that's that's concerning. Um, but you if. if if you're Shanahan and you can kind of scheme up some of the stuff, I think see more of the the bootleg stuff to get him out of the pocket. Um, I think especially if we get Debo and Ayuk in the lineup at the same time, I think we can start to see more screens and some of the things to get the ball out of his hand quick, hand quickly. So it, it's going to be stuff like that that can really neutralize the pass rush from a schematic standpoint because if they do end up in a situation where suddenly Carson Wentz decides to flip the switch and he's good Carson Wentz for a game and they get an early lead. And now suddenly as the 49ers offense, you can't really go to that like helpful scheme. Well for Nick Mullins and he does have to drop back against his pass rush. I think that's when things get very concerning, but as long as they can avoid that and stick to the script, I think that things are going to be largely fine. Has there ever been a double jet sweep in a game? (laughs) <laughs> where you've got a jet sweep action from Ayuk in one direction, and then you've got twins left, and then you've got Debo who runs a jet action the other direction, and you're like, you don't know where the jet's going to come from. Like, th- this is the kind of imagination I'm going for. I, I feel like because uh, on that jet path, they're just going to run into each other, right? Well, I don't mean simultaneously. <laughs> I mean, like, one after the other. Like, you start yeah. with Ayuk first, and then you, like, hard count. Go. Yeah, and then, and rather than and then, sending the guy, the same guy that was in motion back across there, exactly. you send the other one back. The and, other yeah. guy, yeah. And so you end up now with basically, you know, Debo and Ayuk switching spots across the field, uh, you know, and, and, and you also threaten with double jet sweep, and you get a hard count in there. Look, I'm just saying. I, like, you heard it here first. I think we can see some of the things too. Like, uh, you know, the, I think the Chiefs do a great job of like uh, the the fake screens that set up the other screens. I fucking hate right? that screen. I hate that screen because I know exactly what's going to happen and it still always fucking oh, works. Oh, it's so good. Where you know like he's going to fake it. Oh, you're going to fake it over there like someone's over there. Uh-huh. And there's a tight end in the middle of the field and you're just going <laughs> to hit the tight end and he's going to be wide the fuck open. Uh, it works every fucking time. It's money, man. Uh but but I think you can start to do some things like or if you have Debo on one side, Ayuk on the other side, um, you know, you can do some creative things in the screen game where, you know, you have to be very concerned about either of those guys getting the ball in space. And so 
Um, yeah, I expect them to be, if they if they have Debo and Ayuk out there, and especially Kill, I, I expect them to be pretty creative offensively to try to do some things that get the ball out of hand, uh, Mullen's hand quickly and, and get it into these playmakers, like even more so than normal, right? I expect like a heavy play action game, heavy screen game, um, just stuff like that. Because yeah, if they if they sit back and drop back, um, you know, 20 plus times, like it, it's going to be probably an issue with this defensive line. Well, George Kittle on track to play. Debo Samuel, apparently 50-50, although he may, he may play. They're going to see what he's like. But I think George Kittle being a full participant in Wednesday's practice is good for the 49ers and I think boosts their prospects against the Philadelphia Eagles. It, the, the line is the Niners by seven. And, and what I would like is a little revenge. Nick Wagoner from ESPN reminded us about the last time the Niners and the Eagles played in 2017. Shanahan's first year as a head coach, couple things that happened in that game October 29th 2017 Joe Staley broke his face Ouch. after Fletcher Cox threw a block on him during an interception return Pierre Garcon suffered a season-ending neck injury when he was pushed after stepping out of bounds good old CJ Beathard was hit so hard that he knocked a shoe off imagine getting literally decleated and then getting de-shooed uh. from a hit not good Brutal. Uh, yeah, it was not a good win. Uh, just thereafter, the Niners traded for Jimmy Garoppolo and everything changed. Just 20 players who were on either, who were on the roster or injured reserve for the 49ers on that day in 2017 are still currently with the Niners. And I want to be able to be like, yeah, you know what? Fuck your shit. Let's dunk on it. Let's see your Carson Wentz and I'll throw you my Nick Mullins. And we'll see who the better court who the better quarterback is here. I mean, so far, at this point, so at this point, it's, it's Nick Mullins. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm. I'm really looking forward to like another like four or five turnover worthy plays from Carson Wentz. Um, just keep that fucking tire fire going, um, man. Uh, you think Jason Verrett gets his first interception in like two and a half years? I mean, maybe. There, the chance seems high. Like this is the week, right? Like if you're gonna get one, uh, it's got to be this week. Yeah, I think, man, the, the, right. You wish you had a health, a fully healthy secondary uh, to be able to take advantage of some of this stuff. But I guess if you are gonna, you know, be a little bit um, shorthanded from a coverage standpoint, at least you're going against a guy that this can't the game. find a, a receiver if he like fucking wanted to. So. Well, that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Thanks again to all of our Patreon subscribers who have a video about uh, Robert Sala's new wrinkle for his fire scheme, uh, for his fire zone blitzes. Uh, also have our turning point videos and visual examples for all the stuff that, some of the stuff that we talked about this week. Uh, thanks again to everyone who's tuning in. You can always find me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That will be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.